One of the things that I've been so uh, excited about over the last few weeks is this series of Alive and Free. And it has really had a profound effect on me. And I'm grateful to like have been teaching through it because it is changing me. It is working on me by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to jump right into it today. And I want to encourage you to follow along in your notes. And uh, I want you to turn to two scriptures. We're going to deal with two scriptures today. One is John chapter 16. And so you can turn there, John 16, and we'll start uh, around... Uh, chapter or verse 7 and then I want you to turn to Romans 8 and we'll use those two passages to spend some time in today. Uh, Today's message is called the helper. The helper. I think out of all the messages that we've done up to now this particular message is one of the most pivotal. It it is one of the most important and essential because I think we get down to who it is that really helps us to live and walk in freedom. As you know, we're, uh, we're, we're doing this series based on a premise. And the premise is, freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. Freedom's not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. It's not like we're trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff. It's that when we get the presence of someone, it changes our perspective, and we start living free in a different way. And so I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the way he works today. And, and, and the, the, the person that we're talking about the presence of in our lives is the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the Trinity. It leads us to understanding that the scriptures talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people have trouble, right? Father, pretty clear what that looks like. Creator, sustainer of all things, right? The Son, kind of clear who he was. He came in the flesh and he, he gave his life on the cross, was buried and raised to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us, but the Holy Spirit's a little more mysterious, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is, is, is a person that we're not quite comfortable or sure of how he works and, and what, what he wants to do. And so I want to I unpack that a little bit, and I want to challenge your paradigm of who the Holy Spirit is. And so um, before we begin, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life that he brings, and thank you for the work of the Spirit that brings revelation to the Scripture Let the word come alive because of what the Holy Spirit is doing and speak to us and change our way of thinking and then give us grace to obey. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was in an airport and I was on a trip and I sat across the seats from a a guy who had showed up there and and I was sitting there working on my computer and he shows up and he plops down and he was kind of a a bigger guy you know when I say bigger I don't mean muscly I just mean he was big and he was kind of you know he had this t-shirt on and the the t-shirt said in huge block letters it said exercise (laughs) it was huge block letters says exercise but then it had several more lines as it went down the t-shirt and so the, the the next line it said exercise, and then in the next line said exercise, like E-G-G, like eggs, 
exercise. And then it had a dot, dot, dot. And then the next line said, eggs and a side. <laughs> eggs and a side. It said, and then dot, dot, dot. And then the next line said, eggs and bacon. <laughs> and then the next line said, bacon in huge letters. It is funny how we start with one thing, but we end up in a whole nother place, isn't it? And I think sometimes as Christians, we end up in thinking wrongly about who the Holy Spirit is. And we, even, though, even though we might read about him in the scriptures, or even though we, we, have, to, we have to make sure our paradigm of him is correct and that we're, we're not creating some synthetic or, or we're not um, just ig- ignoring him because we're uncomfortable with the mystery. And so uh, I want to I talk about this today and help you understand that all through the scriptures we see the Holy Spirit active. If you look at Genesis 1, what you find is the Bible says that the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. You see that in Genesis 1.26, God said when he created man, he said, let us make Man in our, us and our. The Trinity is a relationship, mutual loving, giving, and serving to one another. And here's the miracle. You and I have been invited into that relationship. God is supremely relational. His very makeup is relational. And we see this all throughout the scripture. And as we see the Holy Spirit, we, what, we, what we begin to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the one through whom this relationship begins to happen. And so the Holy Spirit is God, and we need to to embrace him as we do the Father and the Son, because he is one of the three expressions of this relationship to us. And so let's begin in John 16, verse 7, and we'll begin here with Jesus' words, and he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. The advocate. This is the name that Jesus is using for the Holy Spirit. One translation says the comforter. Another says the counselor. You could also articulate it as the helper. That's the name of the message today. The helper. And so you could, you could, you could uh, articulate this as the helper is not going to come to you unless I go away. Now, you've got to see what the disciples might have, might have seen in Jesus. You, you've got to hear the way they would have heard Jesus say these words. Because Jesus had been doing three years of miracles. Three years of people's shriveled hands growing out. Three years of blind eyes seeing. Three years of, of ears being unlocked. Three years of food mysteriously, exponentially multiplying. Three years of, of watching this happen, and, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, now it's really good, I'm going to leave, and that's really good to you. Really good for you. One translation says, it is to your advantage that I leave. Wait, 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 wait. Disciples are like, no, this cannot be to our advantage that you're leaving. Right? Because no matter how good you say this person is who's coming, it can't be as good as what we've just experienced first lesson of the Holy Spirit is he's better than what you can imagine. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise of better. 
The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise of better. And, and, and that means better than what Jesus did. It means better than what you can think. It means better than anything we can imagine. And so this process of unpacking who the Holy Spirit is, is really a lifetime job. I'm not going to get to the whole thing in the next 20 minutes. But I want to change your paradigm, maybe, about who he is. So he says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to describe now what the Holy Spirit does in the earth. He's proving the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's changing the way people think about sin. He's changing the way people think about righteousness. He's changing the way, the way people think about judgment, what it is. Verse 9 says, about sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you. That's what I'm going to say to you at the end of this message. I have so much more to say to you that you can't bear it right now. Because Jesus was saying, you're not, here's what he was saying. You guys ain't going to get this. You're not going to get it here. But you're going to get it when the Holy Spirit comes. And he says here in verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is guiding people into truth. That's his job. You want to know the truth so the truth will set you free? The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates that. He says... Um, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will tell you the future. He will tell you what's going to happen. He will un help you as events unfold of what's coming. Verse 14 says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Notice that Jesus said when he walked the earth, I don't say anything unless my father says it to me first. So the Holy Spirit is now coming, and he's saying, I'm only going to speak what's spoken to me. There is, a, there is a relationship here that is going on in God that he's inviting us to. And instead of Jesus wandering around the earth doing miracles by himself, God's plan was to send the Holy Spirit so he would live in you and live in me. And there would be this, this process by which we would discover what God is doing in the earth by the work of the Spirit. Let's just talk about these three things that Jesus highlights here, just to give us context. The Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about what? About the sin of unbelief. He says, about, about sin because people don't believe in me. The job of the Holy Spirit in the earth is helping people see their need for Jesus. The need for, for Christ. He's working with people. When we pray for people who don't know Jesus, he's always there looking for opportunities to convict them of, of sinfulness so that they can understand there's no way they can make it through this life without Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. John 3, 5 through 8. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and they talk about being born again and how it's a mystery 
how this happens. And he says that you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. And as you are, then there's something that happens. You become born again, Jesus says. And he says the wind blows wherever it wants to and you can't quite figure it out. So it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit is mysterious. And, and there's a moment when people, the scales drop from their eyes. Their hearts become open. Something happens and they realize... I'm in need. That's the work of the Spirit. Number two, the righteousness of God. He says about righteousness because I go to my Father in heaven. What he's saying here is righteousness is available because I'm going to the Father. What I've done here is making everybody, it makes it possible for every person in the world to be in right relationship with God. Right relationship with God. It helps every believer know that they are righteous. They are in right standing with God because of Jesus. Not because of what we've done. Not because of my good works. Not because I can do good things. But because of what Christ has done. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 talks about Jesus' supremacy. How he holds all things together. And how he is the, the author of all of life. And he has all sufficiency. It is the, listen to this. It is the Holy Spirit's job to help you discover that. Can you imagine how important the Holy Spirit is then? Because it's got to be more than just an intellectual thing. It's got to be more than Sunday school lessons. Number three, the judgment of the prince of this world. This speaks about the Holy Spirit's role in highlighting for everyone the fact that, the, that Satan himself has already been judged. He's already been defeated. He reminds God's people of their authority in Christ and that Satan is defeated. 1 John 4, 4 says that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job to remind you of that. Now, the, 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 the Bible scholars... They, they're, they're all over the map on what this means exactly, and they talk about it in different ways, but I want to suggest an idea to you, and I want you to think about it very carefully. Because I think what happens as the Holy Spirit is convicting people throughout the world of their need for Christ, that before Christ, there is a highlighting and a focus on sin. focus on sin to help people know they're in need. I want you to consider this completely. I want you to consider third service. You just never know. I want you to consider the fact that after you come to Christ, that the focus of the work of the Holy Spirit is not on sinfulness, but on righteousness and on authority. That the power of God is what he's all about. Helping you to discover the power you have. And helping you and I to realize that Christ did it all. When Jesus said, it is finished, he really meant it. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation or to earn Christ's love. And even as he convicts you of sins from time to time and, and you realize that you've failed or you've made a mistake, that is not the focus of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. The focus of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is to, to highlight for you the righteousness that lives in you, the love of God and the embrace that he has for your life, that he loves you, he's pleased with you, and he's excited about what's going on in your life. 
The problem I find with most believers is they're not excited about what God is doing in their life. And I think we can trace this back to a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit or a lack of relationship with the work of the Holy Spirit, a lack of power, a sense of a lack of authority. The focus of the Holy Spirit changes as we trust Christ. He's not focusing on all our sins. He's focusing on righteousness and power. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. He's talking about the church. And he's talking about the church like 50 years ago. We have measured ourselves by ourselves. In other words, we look around at each other and we kind of measure ourselves to see how good we're doing by each other. The Bible, the Bible says this is not a good idea. He says, until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. Because you know what we're doing? We're standing around going, well, I'm doing better than that guy. So we don't seek for higher plateaus of understanding who the Spirit is because we think we're doing okay. And, and, and we look around and sometimes we say, well, we're not doing as good as that guy. And that instead of, instead of motivating us, you know what comparison does? It makes us feel ashamed. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the enemy. And so he says, he says, we have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I help you? I want to help you understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is beyond anything you can think or understand or imagine. The power of the Holy Spirit is larger and greater than anything that you can put together. And you can only discern it. You can only understand it by the Spirit living in you. Now the problem is, we live in these fleshly bodies, right? So Romans 8, turn over to Romans 8. Go over there and we'll just read a passage of Scripture. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul is saying. So we've just heard Jesus and his highlighting of the role of the Holy Spirit. And I, and, I, and I do realize, I understand that we have sort of, you know, when we come to Christ, right, we, we've heard the term, we, Jesus, we receive Jesus into our hearts. And that makes Jesus really small. It's just a little cute Jesus. A little Jesus in our heart. Isn't that sweet? It's just so nice. I just, I love Jesus. He's just, he's like my pet. This language, I think, is, it causes a, a, a false paradigm of the power of Jesus, but also of the power of the Spirit that illuminates who Jesus really is and his work in your life. Jesus is not a little figure that goes around your neck or on a wall or in your heart. He's the one who holds all things together. He has, he has supreme authority, and it is the Holy Spirit to help you see how true that is and how you can line up with that authority. All right, here we go. So here's the problem. Our flesh and our spirit. Here's what Paul says about it, verse 5 in Romans 8. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. One of the first things the Holy Spirit does is he changes your focus to your failures and your flesh and your sin to what Christ has done in you. That's one of the first things he begins to do. So don't keep, 
Don't keep be, being obsessed about your imperfections or, or the issues of your flesh or the desires of your flesh. Here, here's what he says. The people who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. One translation says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And as you've heard me say it many times, the Holy Spirit is into mind control. He wants to change your mind and the way you think about Him. Verse 7 says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit. Everybody say submit. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. People who are always trying to please God by forcing their flesh into submission, it doesn't work. There's something else they have to do. They have to surrender to the Spirit. So he says, you, however, verse 9, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and that is in the affirmative. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So you accept Christ, you receive Him as Savior, you make Him Lord, and the Spirit goes to work. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, your flesh, your body's wearing out because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. There's, there's an energy, there's a thing going on inside of you. The Holy Spirit is working inside of you, convincing you of your righteousness and right standing with God because of Christ. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, all right? So if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, the one who raised him from the dead, meaning the spirit, the Holy Spirit, will give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Oh, it's just, this is just me. This is just the way I am. You know, I just have to kind of live out my life like this. Paul is saying that's not the way this works. You don't have an obligation to live like that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Take your pen and underline that little phrase. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you get to live. All right, well, Pastor Ross, what does that mean? What do, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, this is where the mystery comes in. This is like the plugging into the to this source of life, this mystery. We're going to try to unpack that here. He says, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Everybody say slaves. You're not slaves. God's not up there beating you into submission. It happens in a different way so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you see what it says? The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He convinces us. He helps us know. Now here's what he does. The Holy Spirit helps us know who we are. And he helps us know what we have. Helps us know who we are. And he helps us know what 
we have. So, so we're going we're gonna to unlock these paradigms. So here it is. The Holy Spirit helps us surrender to his will. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite. Do you see that? Look at that. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free. Everybody say free. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Here's what he's saying. He's saying no matter how much you try, no matter how much you do, surrender does not mean trying really hard to do what God wants. That's not what surrender means. Surrender does not mean trying really hard to do what God wants. He's saying that if the Spirit works in you and begins to change your desires... By his own power, as he does that, you, are, you begin to be free to do what he's called you to do as his child. Not a slave, not a person who has to do these things. Often we talk to people, and as they become a Christian, they, they become a Christian, they accept Christ, and then they, they start saying things like this. Well, since I became a Christian, I need to dot, dot, dot. I've got to do this and do that they're already trapped. It's not about doing those things. What we're talking about here is lordship. Lordship. Everybody say lordship. You can write it down in your notes. Lordship. We're talking about deciding who is in charge of your life. And often what we do as believers is we, we use our will to determine who's in charge. You know, you understand that your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your mind and your will and your emotions, and we, our goal is to, to, to decide that Christ is Lord. But let me, let, me, let me shift your paradigm a little bit. Because often we think of it as, when I come upon a situation, then I'm going to decide to make Jesus Lord. But you know what that means? Because that, that means some situations are going to come up, and you'll be like, oh, I can handle this one. I know what to do here. Or, or worse, I'm not going to put Jesus in charge of that. <laughs> I'm going to keep that right here for myself. Could I suggest to you that surrendering is greater than just deciding at each moment who's in charge? Okay, think of this. The kingdom of God is like driving a car. And your will is like the steering wheel. So here you are, you're driving down the road, and you're going, and you're, you're, you're going fast, but you're not violating the speed limit because you're a good Christian. And you, as, you, as, you, as you go down the road, you see Jesus, and he's there on the side of the road. And he's like, thumbing it. And so you're like, oh, I pull over, and, 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 and you stop, and Jesus comes over to the window, and the window rolls down, and he leans in, and he's like, are you going my way? And you're like, yeah, I'm going where you're going. All right, yeah, hop in. So he opens a door, and he, and he sits down, and, you, and you, you turn to him, and you go, where are we going? And nothing. Silence. You're like, uh, where are we going, Jesus? 
I want to suggest to you that this is the wrong way to think about your will because each time he tells you to do something, you got to steer. What Jesus is talking about in surrendering is not about deciding to make him Lord every time, but it's making a foundational decision for your life and you've now surrendered. You're not deciding, you've surrendered your will. So the way it works is the proper paradigm for how the kingdom works and how the spirit works is when you pull off the side of the road, you stop the car. And when Jesus says, I'm going this way, and you go, I, I want to go this way, you get out of the car, you open the, you open the door, you get out of the car, you walk around the car, you toss Jesus the keys, he catches them out of midair, and he walks around and gets in the driver's seat. And you're sitting in the passenger side and you say, where are we going? And still silence. <laughs> because he just takes off and starts going wherever he wants to take you. And no, I need to know where you're going. I need to know what, how this works. I need to no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit begins to help you understand that Jesus is Lord He's in charge. You've surrendered your life to him, and he's got you. It's okay. Wherever he's taken you, it's good to go there. Well, can I be sure of where he's going to take me? No, you can't really. That's why it's called surrender. <laughs> so you don't make the decision every time. You surrender your will so that every time it's his. That's what this is. We think he's after compliance and obedience when he's just after full, all-out surrender. Well, how do I surrender, Pastor Russ? What, don't I have to do something? Well, sure, you've got to do things. Right, I mean, you can't jump out of the car when Jesus starts taking you somewhere you don't want to go. I mean, you could. You can do that. But here's the thing. You decide once and for all, this is, this is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. I've yielded everything, so it's not a decision. I don't have to make. You know, life gets a lot easier when you don't have to make multiple decisions about what's happening around you. Because you've already settled. He's Lord. He's in charge. I'm going to obey him. That's just the way it's going to be. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us connect to his life and power. The Holy Spirit connects us to God's life and power. Look at what Acts 1.3 says. It says, on one occasion, while he was with them, he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, this is when Jesus had already gone to the cross. He was raised from the dead, and he spent 40 days hanging out with the disciples, and he's eating with them one time, and he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say, wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This weekend, at the free weekend, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like. How it influences us. What it means to be immersed in the work and power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about all the gifts and all the, the, the presence and all of the power that he wants to offer you. We're, we'll talk about more about how that works. You can sign up at onechapel.com. I, I really want you to come to that uh, if you want to take another step in allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge of your life. 
So he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he gathered, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> they, they had such small minds. They were like, are you going to take over when this Holy Spirit dude comes? Is it like, like he's going to totally take over the kingdom, the Romans and everybody? You're going to take over the world? And Jesus is like, don't worry about all that. You're, you're not, you don't get it. You're not really understanding because the Holy Spirit's so much bigger. What I have planned for you is so much greater. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. There is something that we do as Christians sometimes where we think that God needs our help. Like, like, we're going to help you out, God, you know, by, by sharing, uh, you know, what, what you've done in our life. We're, we're going to help you do what you're supposed to do in the earth, right? We have this idea of what God's trying to do, and then we're like, but, but he needs me. He doesn't really need you, but he wants you desperately to be involved in what he's doing. So when we think that God needs us, sometimes we get stuck in doing good versus just being plugged into the source of life. So the kingdom of God is like electricity. The kingdom of God is like electricity. And the question is, will you keep trying really hard to do stuff for him or will you just plug into the source of life? When you fail, instead of you know, just beating yourself up and trying to, trying to get back to where you were in God, you know, before you, you failed miserably or before you made that mistake or before you did this thing in your mind. What do you do? God, hey, God's not that hung up. God's not that hung up on your performance. He's not really that interested in what you're doing. He's interested in about you being connected. It's, the kingdom of God is not necessarily about doing good, but about connecting to the source of life. Let me ask you this question, because this is where the lordship thing really comes home. Because what we're talking about is submission. We're going to submit. Oh, submission. I don't like that word. I don't want to submit. But here's the question. We, we look at it wrong. Do we, do we think that submission is him making us slaves? We've already read in Romans 8. He's not going to make you a slave. He's going to make you his kid. It's not about being afraid of him or what's going to happen to you. It's about trusting that his power is the thing you need. His life is the only thing you need. If you go back to the beginning of the scriptures and the third story in the Bible is about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it's not just the knowledge of evil that kills. It's the knowledge of good that can kill you too. Can make you legalistic. Can make you judgmental. He wants us to plug into the tree of life because that's where everything else comes from that. All the fruit of our lives begins to come from him. And the problem Jesus came to solve is not bad behavior. It's not good and evil. God's not hung up on that. Jesus didn't come to fix your behavior. He came to reconnect us to the source of life. So the question is, are you going to reconnect to the source of life? When you fall down, you can get up again and reconnect to the source of life. 
That's, that's why Christ died. So let's, let's, let's stretch our paradigm a little further. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us become all he wants us to be. He's the one who helps us when we fall down and we get back up again. Look at what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. And we all who with unveiled faces, in other words, we take off the mask, we, let, we, we, we embrace vulnerability, we reflect the Lord's glory he begins to shine down in our lives and we begin to reflect it because it's not us that's the source, it's him. So we're being transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I love this, ever-increasing glory. If you have your pen, you should underline that. Because what, what does ever-increasing glory mean? You know what it means? It means that at the beginning you have a little bit of glory and then, then you have a little more glory and then there's this time in your life when you have more glory, and then there's more glory, and then there's this giant process, and then you kind of feel like, oh, I took some steps back. But then more glory comes as you seek him, and, and he has you on this pathway. He has you in this journey where he's giving you more of himself, and you're discovering what that means and what that looks like. So the kingdom of God is like a baby learning to walk. Kingdom of God is like a baby learning to walk. And what the Holy Spirit does is he helps you as you're learning to walk and follow Christ. So have you ever seen a parent, right? They're, they're, I've had five kids, so I've seen my kids go through this season where they're cruising the furniture. You know what I'm talking about? They're like pulling themselves up on the furniture, and then you're, you're just freaked out as a, as a parent. You just think you've never seen as many sharp things in your home as when your baby starts walking. And suddenly you're, you're like, okay, I got I to gotta put foam on everything and I got to lock every drawer and cabinet. You can't get in your drawers and cabinets for 10 years because you put these little things on them. So annoying. But the, the baby's walking around and as a baby begins to walk and the parent's there and you're, you're like, they're right on the verge of it. And, the, and come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. And the baby takes three steps to dad and dad says, says three, that's really, that's all you got? What's, what's that Really, is that, that's all you can, you can do more than that. Come on. That's, it's, no, no, you, you can do better. Have you ever heard a parent say that when a baby's starting to walk? Ever. I've never heard it. It never happened to me. What happens instead? Oh, this is awesome. My baby's walking. And then you, and then you like try to get it to, to repeat again. And then you film it with your iPhone. And then you spread it out on social media everywhere and bore all your friends. Because you're so proud of your baby that's walking. It took three steps. It's awesome. And then they fall down. Do you get upset when they fall down? No, it's, it's so, so brilliant. God made babies low to the ground, so when they fall, it didn't hurt. <laughs> right? And they got padding as a diaper and all this stuff. It's like, it's like it, doesn't, it doesn't really hurt them. They're fine. And you rejoice in them. Then here's the lesson. God is so much greater than you or I. He's so completely other in his holiness. It's like a parent that can run circles around a baby. Like a parent that can get in a car and drive to another state. Right? And the baby just can't, baby can only get three steps. You as a person, as a parent, can get on a plane and go halfway around the world. Right? Are you starting to see, like there's this disconnect. The baby can't even conceive of what that looks like right that's like you and me as we interact with God and the problem is here's the thing no matter how great your accomplishments get 
they will never be that great to God. My, my point is, my point is, they're not substantially great feats, right? In your own strength. Whatever you do, you do because he gave you the ability to do it. And he has so much more power he wants to share with you. There's no doubt about it. But he, here's the thing, he's rejoicing in every step that you take. Every step. He's not like, really? You got three people saved last week? Really, is that all you could do? Really? You, you, you went and apologized to your wife for the first time in your young married life? Really, is that all you could do? No, he's saying, good job, you're getting it. You're figuring it out. Be humble. Be surrendered. This is awesome. But all we're doing is beating ourselves up over the head. I got to do better. I got to be, I got to, I got to help God out. <laughs> Here's the thing. You got to decide what is your job and what is God's job. It is God's job to provide transformation. It is just your job to do what? To surrender. Because we're not doing something for God. We're not doing something for God. We're doing something from God. We're not doing something for God. We're doing something from him. Everything comes through him. And if it's all by grace, then even when you fall down, he's not that, he's not that upset. He's cool. He's like, look at him. He fell down. It's okay. Just get on up. Let me help you. Holy Spirit helps you get back up and realize that the sufficiency of Christ is available for you. And that as you repent of your sin, as you repent and turn the other direction, and you, and you rely on him, he begins to do something amazing. So finally, number four, the Holy Spirit helps us to see his reality. Helps us see his reality. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it, is, it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own Spirit, And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. And then as you go down in the chapter, you see that he says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? Nobody. It's a rhetorical question. But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Okay, how do you get the mind of Christ? You get the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit doing the Vulcan mind meld on you with the mind of Christ. He melds your mind. His, his job is to help you think like Christ, to help you understand who you really are, that you're a co-heir, as Romans 8 said, that you're, you're just as much of an heir as Jesus. Of all the great things that God has given, every gift Every bit of, of, of joy and strength and peace and even perseverance in the midst of struggle, you have everything that Jesus had as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have every bit of the work of God in you as you struggle. The Holy Spirit's job is to help you see this. 
to help you understand that he's glorifying what Jesus did and how that has affected you and how that has impacted you. And so the kingdom of God is like a light bulb. It is like a light bulb that must be plugged in. And as we look at the Holy Spirit as a light bulb, what we find is we're walking in darkness and the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate what Christ has done and how he is working around you and what he's doing in your life. And sometimes we tend to look at the, at, at the light, right? We look, the Holy Spirit becomes like this, Look at the light. Oh, the Holy Spirit. It's like, have you ever had bugs when, when you turn on the light outside, all the bugs are just dive-bombing the light, and they're all like falling apart? That's not the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. You remember in John 16 when we read it, the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus, to lead and guide into all truth. He's trying to show you the way. And if you have trouble, having trouble on the way, you need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You need his work in your life. You need to receive what he has for you. We don't turn on the light to look at it. It brings light into the room. The light illuminates the book, the Bible, the scriptures, the path. The Holy Spirit doesn't... doesn't um, or the, sorry, the Bible doesn't come alive to us unless the Holy Spirit illuminates it. And in this way, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he begins to inhabit us. He begins to illuminate everything within us and he begins to live through us. And what happens? What happens in our lives when the Holy Spirit lives? Christ is revealed. When he comes alive in us, inhabits us, and lives through us, he's revealing Christ to all around who are looking at you. He reveals it all. This is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and who he wants you to be. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. I want you to pray with me, and I want you to consider what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Maybe you're, maybe you're stuck in darkness. Maybe, maybe you just feel like you've resisted the work of the Spirit because you were afraid of the weirdness of it or the mystery of it. Maybe, maybe you're just uncomfortable with understanding how God wants to work in your life. Maybe, maybe you've just on purpose been doing your own thing. Can I encourage you today that this is the moment that you can yield and surrender to Christ and let the Holy Spirit begin to live in you and with you, to be your helper, to be the one who comes alongside, to be the one who walks with you, to be the one who illuminates, the one who shows you exactly how life really is, to help you transform into the image and likeness of God to help you connect to his life and his power and to help you surrender. Maybe you've had trouble with surrender. This is the moment where you get out of the car and you give Jesus the keys. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done this or, or made a decision like this. 
Maybe it's the hundredth time. It doesn't matter. Today, if you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you hear him calling you to himself and you're thinking to yourself, I need what you're talking about, Pastor Ross. I need to welcome the Holy Spirit. I need to accept the work of Christ in my life in a fresh way, in a new way. I need a new start to my life with him because the one I've been living is not working out. I've been too much in control. I've been deciding everything, and I'm, I'm ready to surrender. And if that's you, I'm not going to call you for it. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and I just want you to say, Pastor, please, please pray for me, and raise your hand right now. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Say, that's for me. That is about me. I need what you're talking about. Yep, I see you right here, right there in the back, over here on the side. Who else? Who else? Yeah, way back in the back. This, this is what I need. I want to let the Holy Spirit have his way in me. I want a fresh start with Christ. Yeah, I see you right over here. Anybody else? Who else? Who else? Yeah, right here in the middle. God sees you, and he sees your heart. And so I want you to pray with me. Come on, let's all pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. It's not about the words. It's about your heart. But pray this prayer with me. Come on, everybody in the room, say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows me the way to surrender. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life. I surrender everything. I repent of doing my own thing, of controlling my own life. I give you control. Please forgive me. Please make me new. Give me a fresh start today. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to love you. And I want to know your love. I receive you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. Father, I pray that every person who's praying this prayer, you'd seal it by the work of the Spirit that's going on in the room right now. And I pray that as you do, they get up and walk out these doors and hear that gentle whisper. They continue to see the scales dropped from their eyes. They, they continue to understand the wisdom that only comes from you, the power source, the life source that you have for them. And they continue to plug into that by waiting before you and by letting you have permission to drive. Lord, we pray that you would do this in every one of us. In Jesus' name.